keep going. You found us at the Keep Going Podcast. I'm Steve Sisson, one of your co-hosts. We're coming at you with back-to-back episodes this week. A little two-for-one, if you will. We have a little backlog in the Keep Going Podcast, and we just need to get caught up. So we're doing this because we've started recording video for the podcast, and we're now on YouTube. So you can check out the link below, or search Atreyu Running over on YouTube, and I think you'll find us gesticulating and oscillating wildly. So we're jamming multiple Smith references in one episode. And if we didn't get these out, they'd end up all soft and moldy in my hard drive anyway. Really, nobody wants that. So here we go. I expect we'll toss another two episodes at you next week as well. But we'll see. So in this one, we talk about how to choose a race. We talk timing, seasons, race distances. And I throw out three potentially useful categories of races that might help you considering and selecting your races in the upcoming months. So without further ado, we bring you the episode that we call Locals, Classics, and Epics. How to select a race. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. You are sleeping. You do not want to believe. You are sleeping. Sorry, I just I just listened to Louder Than Bombs, the Smiths album. And there's this little section in the middle of that that has that snippet in it. And I can't, I can't. I can't not put it in there. So <laughs> I love it. We're bringing good energy into the conversation. I um I started recording music this morning, so I've been in a weird headspace. Ooh, I like that. I started using and I found the arpeggiator in my uh, digital audio workstation, and I've been hooking my VST synths up to it. And and I spent the whole morning driving around Austin or or walking through Zilker Park with the Smiths catalog in my head it's so, a weird seasonal change so i'm starting to feel kind of like oh what is life <laughs> it's <so> true. <laughs> fucking crazy <laughs> it is true though isn't it it's like are we like like the lunar cycle the solar cycles the seasonal cycles let's reevaluate everything based off of 10 degrees of the weather <laughs> and it's not even 10 degrees it's 10 <laughs> degrees of humidity yeah. it's like 10 points of humidity and all of a sudden we're like oh here it comes like it's still 82 degrees at 5:30 in the morning but the but the humidity dropped 10% so we're all feeling great it was a great. whole different vibe this morning oh yeah totally the past few we've had a few really really great days and the last week the last week with my training group has been um next level like yeah. i can feel it like there's a shift that's happened because of the proximity of the racing scene that we've got coming up right getting into the fall um, feeling some sense that getting a little humidity drop, even if a temperature drop isn't there. I mean, we're going through the toughest summer we've had in Austin for probably over. ever. I, I, there, there, you know, my wife and I were arguing this topic yes last night because I remember 2011. I was here in 2011, sure. and it was brutal. And we have more days over 100 than we've had, but we've had higher global temperatures through the last six weeks, right? Like, yeah. Like it, it's never in the seventies. Yeah. All, all, I mean, I, I came I've home. I've been sweating going to bed every night. Yeah. I came home like, from helping my mom working on her property in Wimberley and I got home at 11 o'clock and it was 96 degrees. 
at 11 o'clock mm. p.m. Like that's like whoo. what ends up happening is we'll go out for a run and we're in by like 7:30 a.m. and then I just stay inside all day. <laughs> it's like you there people don't even want to drive their cars. I think it takes like double the gas. I've Probably had, not, but you know, it just feels like I don't want to bring my car out into the seat. I have athletes who are telling me they're having indoor lungs. So the in, when you run indoor track, mm-hmm. like because of the dryness of the of the uh, oh, conditions, yeah, sure. when you run really hard and you push, you get this cough and there's like this lung burn yeah. that you have. I think we've had the weather has been so hot and so consistently in the mornings that my some of my athletes are talking about their lungs hurting them and feeling mm. bad. I was like. Anyway, weather is, by the way, it just is what it is, but it is a topic of conversation. And when you have epic weather conditions, it's always good to just kind of like put a pin in it and say, yeah, I'm living through this. It's interesting that every, every fall comes around and I just don't know, they're all, always forget the last one, you know, (laughs) and, and I wish I could just like take a journal of like, you know, it starts to feel really awesome. Yeah. I don't think fall. My opinion is Austin, Texas is one of the great places in the world in the fall. It gets, we get a lot of love for Austin in the spring because of South by Southwest and the weather change that happens around spring break and it's beautiful and we get all this. But I think because of the difficulty of our summers and I'm also an October birthday. So I actually have another thing that kind of lends me to that because I have a, it's, you know, October special. Do you think that's why um, fall racing is so important? I think so. I think it's where the class, it's like some of our classic races are, you know, New York and um, Chicago or at that time. Um, but it's always hard for me as a coach because I'm trying to convince my athletes not to race in. Ooh, tell me about that. Well, so we've got Berlin and Chicago coming up. Yeah. And the athletes that I'm working with who are getting ready for those two races, uh, we haven't had, you know, we just discussed just there briefly, you know, a 10% drop in humidity and people are having a good day mm-hmm. but they're still not anywhere approaching where they're running times on repetitions that are equivalent to giving them some kind of idea some kind of reading the tea leaves on where their current fitness is so they're kind of going into races where they want to have a, a, a pr or a personal best or run a good race and they want to f- target a particular time but they've got no calibration for that because they don't they haven't had any sessions that have been able to be run at an effort level that matches the pace they want to run because we've got to run by effort because when it's so hot and your body is working so hard to run, let's say seven minute mile pace, um, that may effort may be 645 or 635 even, maybe 630 in some cases. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, and then each person has a different scale with that. Um, But I'm always really hesitant or really, um, I'm always careful when my athlete says, I want to run Chicago or I want to run Berlin because the conditions in central Texas are so challenging to get ready for it and you don't get any indicators. Whereas those athletes who are going to run in November, you know, we've got some folks running Indy, some folks running New York City, some folks running Philly and some folks running CIM. They'll all have multiple sessions that are race specific that will tell them where their fitness currently is, which is helpful. The essence behind that is... Do you need the race-specific work to translate the effort-based workouts? Well, luckily, the marathon, in my opinion, is not necessary to do specific because rare because of the dis- the duration of the event, twenty six point two miles. Let's say you're trying to run sub three. That's like six fifty per mile, six fifty three, six fifty per, mm-hmm. per mile. So you're not going to run any single mile. You're going to run a couple miles at six fifty or six fifty three, but you're not going to run 
653, 653, 653. Sure. 653. So mm-hmm. getting a feel for it and then being able to deal with hill and dales, you know, the ups and the downs and the weather conditions and your ups and downs that are happening energetically or hormonally or whatever the case may be, like all those things are playing in. And so you're not really focused on that pace per mile. Whereas an athlete, like I've got a couple athletes right now that are getting ready for mile races because they're in the Seattle area or they're in places where the two athletes just ran a mile last night. And, you know, we've been working very specifically in 400 meter pace. So 400 meter split on what they hit so they can feel better at that. So they can get that feel mm-hmm. like we talked about last week about economy and efficiency. We've been working on that. We can get much more specific and we have to be specific because the race duration is short enough and they need to nail those paces and they, mm-hmm. that helps them guide mm-hmm. them. But with a marathon, it's like a wind, long and winding road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're not going to, you're not, it's, it's not going to be like, like, bam, 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 bam per, per mile. So I don't think race specific is so important for the marathon. There are coaches out there that do spend a good bit of time there. I don't, I spend a time above and below it. And then I have a few sessions in my program that are more, that are very marathon specific, but they're more about just checking to see if a someone's full of shit, if their really gold time is really their goal time. And if they can reach it B if they've got the guts for it, right? Do they have the courage? Do they have the stamina, the resilience to get through the full distance at those paces? And number three, to just sort of be like, yeah, that's what I want. Are you sure that's really so what coming you really too want? soon off of a summer, you know, where you've recalibrated recalibrated your effort based training? You don't have the ability to have maybe more than a couple sessions to run at those race paces and, and lower? I would actually say none, almost none. Like because of a race that's happening September 21st, like the third week yeah, of September. you can't really. We might get a day or two, but like the other day, like Tuesday, we just got a drop in humidity and I had a really challenging session for written for my athletes. It was a two mile, one mile, two mm-hmm. mile. And they, and it's hard. It's a, it's a very, it's not a super hard physiological workout. Um, but it's very hard mentally to stay focused for that amount of time. It's two miles, one mile, two mile at their 10K paces. So that's a scary thing for marathoners. That pace is a little bit challenging and difficult. And then they have to stay on it, like the no break in them. Sure. That. But we had a drop in humidity and it was, I mean, I think to a person, we had really good results. It's like everybody was super happy coming off the track. And I'm like, it's still 82 degrees, but whatever. The relative humidity was lower. It was drier was drier and there was also no wind and so it just created this space and then the team vibe the group vibe sort of lifted everybody up it was really it was one of those days where you're like okay we got that but they we weren't doing a marathon specific session so my folks that are getting ready for berlin and chicago they can say yeah i'm feeling more confident about my ability to run that race pace but it wasn't specific enough for them to be able to to grab a hold of it and hang on to it. And, you know, one of the things that happens with that stuff I talk about a lot is feedback loops. Like, what's your pot? You want to create feedback loops that are positive. By that means that you put work in. When you put that work in, it creates a, it starts to build onto a data set, a data point that you're allowed, that you say then, oh, that's good. So then that you can then put more energy into it because it's good. You feel good about it. Puts more energy. It's loops now. You've got a full, a closed loop. Yeah. Where if it's negative, that loop, and that's a closed loop moving forward, like a forward loop. Yeah, and you don't really get that. You, you're flying blind if you haven't you have created those feedback loops. You have to do them subject, based on subjective yeah. data sets and what you're feeling and what your effort was. That's a was. tough thing without experience. 
years and years of <laughs> oh. like kind of been like, okay, I'm coming off the summer of a, you know, an effort-based training and, and you, got, you gotta know how that translates on the and you, Or downs. you can trust your coach, yeah. right? Like if your coach keeps telling you, don't worry about the pace, sure. just go on effort, it's all gonna work out. You know, I've got an athlete who's trying to, I just talked to you yesterday, who's trying to get an Olympic trials qualifier and you know, she's, oh, she said to me, I'm like, I'm okay just going on efforts right now. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, well, if you're okay, I'm okay. Cause, it, cause it's kind of what we have to do. Yeah. But to hear that means that I don't have to stress about trying to create scenarios to create those positive feedback. Oh loops. yeah, man. That's so special. There's a psychology going on. I'm, you know, my job is to create the, psych- the psychological, the conditions to allow psychological positive, psychologically positive feedback loops. But that's fascinating. That's a fun topic. To be honest, I, I, I don't think too much about it. How do you, how you start to, you know, translate all of the work into different style work and feedback loops. So anyway, I, I think we all kind of do it, you know, maybe naturally at times. And sometimes we're unaware that we're doing it. And yeah, I would use the word intuitively. Yeah, intuitively. So like, it's kind of happening under the hood. And we're there's trusting that, There's it. always that run where you're like, even today, where I'm like, my paces were 20, 30 seconds faster at the same perceived effort on the warm up, And I'm like, oh shit, this is that time of year. I can imagine that having four to six weeks of this in like a trial period and kind of like a fluid period with the long run and a full, you know, seven or 10 day training cycle would just be beautiful. You know, thinking Um, about what we talked about last week though, you need to be careful because then you can start trying to string some of those sessions together mm -hmm. and start triggering you know the thing, the topic we talked about last week, yeah, which was for sure. not getting ahead of yourself and started pushing. Yeah, but for as long sure. as you step back consistently, but even just getting that sensory experience, that felt sense of I am working less hard to do the same pace, or I'm working a lot easier to go a faster pace. These things have an unbelievable power. Mm-hmm to create those feedback loops. So simple, yet so intriguing. It, yeah, it <laughs> is. And you know, one of the things we wanted, we were thinking, we, we didn't come in completely prepared for a, a topic, because you and I have been, uh, you know, we, when it's just the two of us, we don't have to, we didn't have to, before we had to worry whether John could catch the vibe, right? But, but it's just the two of us, we're like, oh, well, we're just jazzers anyway. <laughs> we just play jazz anyway. Um, and yeah. so to me, it's like, we, what we came up with for a topic this week is like racing. Yeah. How do people select races? Why do they select races? And, you know, for me, I'm going to probably grind a little of the uh, steal the culture vibe Yeah, that's where, I'm, that's where my head's at. Yeah, but um, I think that it'd be good because we're talking about immediately, just like the weather gets a little better, everybody starts thinking about spring, ra- fall races. And then, it's you know, it's especially in the United States, fall is very marathon-centric, you know. Um, people are getting their tr- – tr- some people are chasing mm-hmm. Boston qualifiers that have to be had before the first week of registration for Boston. And then you've got folks who are targeting the other two major – local major – I mean, United U.S. majors with uh, Chicago and New York City. Then you have, like, the – the sneaky cool races that go on like Indianapolis, which is a super fast race. That's like late October. And then you've got CIM, which is kind of a 
becoming a classic, like because of its, um, because of how fast it is, because it's relatively downhill, and many many people There's go a lot there of trying to get Olympic race. A lot of people want to get Olympic trials qualifying standards or get yeah. Boston qualifiers, and it's a good place to go get that. So we we're at that time where it's sort of like, and then you know, locally, some people, a lot, a lot of parts of the country have really good local races that show up in the fall because the weather gets nicer and people want to take advantage of it. You know, you just talked about Houston having this classic, uh, Baker uh, Ripley 10 K for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Just fun. People, have their timer and people have their turkey three out three back. It's always, always there's some Austin runners show up and win the damn thing. Yeah, there's awesome. a, there's been a really <laughs> good race up in Dallas that they have a seven mile, um, Turkey trot that a lot yeah. of people go up to, you know, I grew up in San Antonio, so we used to do this little, little low-key, really, like, um, super low-key um, turkey trap, but they would they, you would raffle off turkeys afterwards. Somebody would donate the turkeys, and so, or your entry fee went to purchasing all these turkeys, and then they would raffle them off. So I would come off of my track cross-country, my cross-country season in high school, and then my college, I would run it every year after college. Mm-hmm. After our NCAA championships, I would go out and run that race. It was just, you know, it's just, to me, turkey trot just you know that there's something special about it running yeah. like it's just like running in football but you I know i watch the lions and the, and the cowboys play <laughs> yeah there's something special about the seasonal running i equate it to um there's there's two little rocks that i've been standing on lately trying to jump from them to everything i'm doing lately and uh one is this sense that i can't stop thinking about when i was a kid and i would the weekend would be coming up and I'd be like, I'm going to get on my fucking bike and I'm going to go build a tree house <laughs> yeah. this weekend. And I'm going to, you know, that magnolia tree just needs to be, I'm going to climb the shit out of that thing. And then I'm going to just sit up there with, you know, just, I don't know. There was a sense of building and there was a sense of, there's something that when we're younger, you know, that, that is so special. I've been trying to incorporate that you know, into everything. I'm actually trying to rekindle it as an adult. And I've been thinking like, okay, if you can follow me on that thought process, the way we thought about having fun or discovering new things when we were kids, how can we relate that as an adult, specifically as an adult who puts running at the highest relationship of our life? And I'm thinking to myself, culturally, I'm sorry, but we're a bit screwed up right now because we know everything. Everything's on our phone and our computers and we get, we get to experience everything all the time, but we don't actually get to be there. And I'm like, okay, how can we just rediscover what it's like to have that kind of humanity in the culture of running? And I think that it's, how we pick our races and and what and how we give it reverence and how we, we don't just go with the flow and don't just go with what the information is telling us or what the cool thing is right now but there's a sense of discovery that i that i think is underestimated at the first time you know the first the first time i, I you know, when I ran CIM, I Googled it. Like, I thought that I was going to go to, you know, I was like, 
was a fast race. I'm going to qualify for Boston. And I went there just thinking like, man, I found the greatest secret. And I show up and half of Austin is there. You know, I'm living in Louisiana at the time and half of Austin is there. And there was just, but there was a sense of discovery. And I'm like, that is a cool freaking race. Very well cool put on. Race. The yeah. race director knows his stuff. It's like, it's, it's always good weather. You know, I hear about, you know, the thing I hear about CIM frequently is Sacramento sucks. And I'm like, what do you mean Sacramento sucks? It's actually not that bad. And if you're interested and you want to go a place with your wife and it's not Chicago or Berlin or whatever else, Napa, Napa Valley is like right up. Yeah, right it's like an hour. Like rent a car. And, <laughs> and San Francisco is one of the great yeah. cities of the world. Is like only an hour and a half away as well. So shut up, dude. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> and I was thinking like anybody who hasn't run that race should totally Absolutely. consider it on their calendar. Get a plane ticket. Get an Airbnb. Get a hotel. Whatever. Just travel there and get excited about it because it was freaking bad ass. Their finish line area is great. They've got a little beer garden. Yeah. They've got a good vibe. You finish right at their capital. It feels really good. Um, there's a lot of smiles at that yeah. finish line. It seems like to be more smiles. Like It's almost Boston-esque in its yeah. smile, post-race it's, smiling. It's fantastic. And there yeah. was, a, But there was a sense of discovery. Now, if you're listening and you're kind of on the, maybe I've done CIM four times, <laughs> maybe there's another, maybe like you we were talking about before we hit record is maybe these local you know turkey trots and 10ks and 10 milers and all these like like run for the water and like really focusing on those can give us that sense of discovery again and finding and rekindling what you referred to as a classic race and there's something about running classics that really uh, provide a foundation to the sport and I hope that we don't lose it in the mix of information. I don't, you know, I think the good news is these events keep going. Yeah. So these, these race directors um, and these volunteers and the organizers, the sponsors, mm-hmm. um, the police, the, the medical folks, all the things that happen around events, they, um, they recognize the power of, that spirit of a place that they're bringing there, you know? So um, important. And I think that that's what happens at New York City. When you feel New York City Marathon, that race is so special because that day, that evening, the night before, people party. The whole city of New York City parties a little harder mm-hmm. the night before. And they, you know, I don't know how many bars are open at you know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. as people are running through there. But it's like, it just feels like this this huge party going on through the five boroughs. And you're supposed, and the, the community recognizes it, you know, and they, and I think that that, I think that, you know, your worry about information is humans will always seek out authentic mm-hmm. experience. And um, I'm going to argue that there's sort of three, ways that someone should consider selecting a race this is the meat this is what i want to talk about it's it's like the only thing i want to try and extract from this conversation is is giving reverence to how we pick our races yeah and not just take the the newest cultural fad although sometimes that's really fun not just taking i've got to run another marathon because so many people are in marathon it's okay to think about it like it's super fucking special it's it's actually essential to do it or else the racing then starts to get stale. Sure. 
And I'm I'm working with athletes I've been now coaching for 10, 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. and I've not stopped coaching them. And they're all they're beginning to look at many of them initially go to trail running and then they end up coming back to sort of 5K and 10Ks and half marathons and mm-hmm. anyway. So I, I think that that's part of being a true runner, being a runner, a, a runner who loves it for the sake of it and likes to race to challenge themselves and for creativity, like we talked about before, sort of mm-hmm. curiosity and creativity. Um, I think that hearing this episode might help them in terms of determining, sort of categorizing races or events. So I've got three basic categories that I think everyone should, should every year you should have one of these three on your, on your race calendar if you're racing. Mm-hmm. So you either have local, you have, you have locals, which is like your local pub or your local tavern or your local restaurant or your local breakfast spot or your local local route, like our 10K, our 10 mile loop at Town Lake. Like there's just your local, like where the people go, mm-hmm. right? And locally in Austin, we have a couple of really kick-ass events. We've got um, Run for the Water. We've got the 3M half. We've got the Austin half, which now is not as resonant throughout um, the country, but it's still pretty cool around here. And then, we have, and then we have Cap 10K. You know, we yeah. have Cap 10K, which is a pretty big event. Then we've got some other ones like the Margarita Run. Some people really like that. It's hot. It's, <laughs> it's tough. We've got yeah, Zilker that one, Relays. That one's at night. We've got Zilker Relays. And we've got Zilker Relays, which is the end of the summer yeah. at night, and it's a party. So we've got yeah. these other things that are going on. But, you know, what are your locals? Like, I always try to tell my athletes when they're looking for another event. Um, I'm an athlete who lives in St. Louis, and I was just like, so what's your locals? Like, circle your locals, and then I'll build a plan around your locals. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. You're not going now to these other places to go to these other races. Mm-hmm. Just pick the race that's going to be vibing in your neighborhood, in your neck of the woods, so that you can feel it. And then when you get out there, all the runners in your local area, they're all going to be resonating. You know, April is, woo, the mm-hmm. vibes in, in Austin are definitely on all April long because you've got Boston and Cap 10K and you can just feel it. People are out in the, you know, everybody's out there. The smell of cut grass. People are out there doing their runs. High schoolers are finishing, going, getting their qualifiers to state. Like all the, like running is happening in April in Central Texas. For sure, it's off the chain and you can feel it. It's like, it's like an energy. It's like a, it's like a, it's like honey. Sure. <laughs> Something that's just mm-hmm. like in the air that everybody has. So what are your locals? So you should always be focusing on, if you're not going to be serious about a marathon or in a particular event, then pick a local and just every year commit in shape, out of shape. Doesn't really matter. Like I think people should run in Austin should run. Do it 10K. for the f- love of fueling the, the local economy Can, and c- the vibe absolutely. And, and just putting that energy back into the local. Or scene. if you don't run it, volunteer. So if you don't run it, show up and use your energy to work a water stop or to help with setting out, setting things out or whatever else. Because then you'll be a part of that community and be a part of that group, that energy that's that's vibing mm-hmm. and pulling it out. So whether you can, you the locals are great because you can participate and you can you can participate in multiple levels, right? In ways that are really really cool. Um, so that's one level. Your yeah, locals, I and I and I really argue for locals that are not any of the other two categories. So your local, that's not also a classic. So the next sure. level I'm going to talk about is a classic. So run for the water in, I think is a classic race. Any, nobody, you know, no, but many people in other parts of the world won't know what it is, but in Austin, if you came, if you were going to run one race in Austin, 
I would always recommend coming to the Run for the Water because mm-hmm. it's it's iconic, classic. Because Gilbert is the race director and the beneficiary, and his benefic- the beneficiaries is water, trying to find water in Burundi or you know in, mm-hmm. in Africa. So there's a there's a vibe around it that's a story beyond the story of just the race. But the race itself is on a particularly classic set of roads in Austin, and it's a race, like it's a it's, real race. It's a when you go there, the vibe transcends local, and it becomes classic. Yeah, classic. It's, it, it's hard to even describe <laughs> what that means. It's like there's a switch that's flipped, and it says, "This one is one that you should think about seriously." And on, honestly, you know, Austin, the Austin Marathon doesn't have that anymore. It used to be the race that had that switch. Really? Oh yeah, but it's not. I don't there. know if I was around when it when it. Uh, of course, it's a great race. Well, like, it was and, really and I fast. love the vibe. And For I, years, it was like CIM. Yeah, it was a very fast race. It started in North Austin and finished in Central Austin, and so it went downhill. And so people came from all over the world to run it because it was like CIM. It was it was faster than CIM. No shit. Yes. Really? Yes. I did not know this. But it had to change because of now it's like the most dreadfully it's like a, after it's an incredible 13, problem you start mile 13 going uphill on infield and then it proceeds to be Roller. perceivably rollier on the <laughs> yes. second half yes. finishing on like a 10 percent grade up it's just the craziest thing i love the austin marathon but it's not what it used to be and, and so you're not going to get people traveling into it from which we did of, you know it was a classic event because people would travel all over the world to get their boston i qualifier. really was I, i've been it's it's my aside is that austin needs a marathon that's a net downhill that's that's but it's never gonna so this is part of that conversation we had with paul you know um the the all the things we talked about with run texas um vision and all the things they created um one of the challenges that came about with all those races you know two three races in a weekend Mm -hmm. race every single weekend (laughs) you know we were talking you know 52 it, weeks it's of the year, three races yeah. every week. I mean, the local the local support structures couldn't handle it. You know, mm-hmm. the infrastructure of Austin couldn't handle it, and they actually got burnt out. And then the city planners and the police and the EMS people they just said, "Yeah, no, we need to limit." They they limited where courses could go. Um, they limited how many how many could happen, mm-hmm. and put. Which is important to do because it was the Wild West and there was something popping up every weekend, (laughs) popped up every weekend. And, you know, Paul wasn't, (laughs) Paul didn't benefit from that stuff beyond the store, the running store benefiting from it, right? Yeah. But it was never about that for him. For him, it was like he wanted his fingers in all the pies, not because he he was an ego, he had an ego, but just more because it's a lot more fun to be part of everything. And he was so curious about what everybody was doing. But it did create this space where we couldn't then go, from point to point anymore. Um, only 3M could hold that. So think about a marathon that's as fast as 3M. Jeez. And that was a marathon. Yes. So basically it just paralleled the north to south route. But anyway, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. And actually I love Austin so much now that I think it actually benefits from not having that vibe mm-hmm. because there is something that CIM is going to run into, is starting to run into, where people don't want to go anymore. It's just too, uh, too many times you got to go there and too much you know going there once or twice is great but going there all the time is challenging Mm -hmm. um but anyway going back to classics so classics to me are these races that are either a have a long historical legacy so events like this would be um beta breakers in san francisco um 
the Crescent City Classic in uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Um, Falmouth, which is coming up in the Northeast. That's a fantastic event. Falmouth Seven Miler. What about the Cherry Blossom? Cherry Blossom is a classic. There's one in Philly called, um, what is Philly's? It's, uh, I just had an athlete run it. Um, there's a, you know, there's a 10 miler in Philly that's mm-hmm. in the spring. Um, there are every, there are multiple classic turkey trots. There's one, um, in San Jose, that's really, really classic. There's, you know, you you talked about Houston. I don't even know Houston's. Mm-hmm. I know Dallas's because most of the athletes that I coached that wanted to make money in a, you know, because there was money in the Dallas seven miler. So where there was money, there was that. So some of these, there's a big seven miler in a July in Iowa of all places. There's just these classic events to beyond the marathon classics. Sure. Like then you've got the marathon classics, New York, um, Chicago. Boston, but then there's the others that are sort of hidden, like Philly is a really good race, mm-hmm. Indy is a really good race. Um, my f- my most underrated classic marathon in America is the Houston Marathon, totally underrated within the state of Texas. Like people in Texas don't run it. It's like and it's world class. You feel like you're running. It's world class. Something totally professional it's a classic they it's, take it it's, seri- it's they take crazy it super good. serious yeah and, and then the there's town cla- treats it like it's the biggest deal ever and I, I love the houston marathon i think i've run it twice and i'm probably gonna run the half mm-hmm. in you know 24 so then you just circle classics and be thinking about what classics are i just named a number of the ones that i know about but there are classics that are popping up every day mm-hmm. like every year there's new classics being born that don't necessarily have to be like the historical legacy kind of classic but the classic could be around like what i why i call run for the water classic because it's got on an iconic course that many of us train on during the year and has a hill that is the scenic hill, which I argued as one of my, yeah. you know, my power places in Austin. I just think that hill is just amazing. And it runs up that hill every year. So, so there's like, so it's just like really kind of cool. So that, that could make it a classic. Another thing that might make it classic is, um, some local vibe or group vibe. So let's say there's, um, you have a, a high school reunion, and you've got friends that you ran with in high school mm-hmm. and maybe you go and run a race that is now that you start doing on a seasonal basis. You do every year or for whatever reason or every four years or whatever. So a classic doesn't actually have to fall into uh, you know, some kind of global distinction of classic. It's just there's something there either through the legacy or through the problems, challenges associated with the race itself or some personal vibe energy that's there like for my, for me the san antonio turkey trot is always a classic it's a local and a classic now i don't even know if they do it anymore it was in it was in McAllister park and it was like four miles but i just loved that race and my whole family would go out some would walk some would run we would all go out we would go out to turkey trot my mom would stay home because she had to, she she's she had only she has a handicap so she can't she has a, mm-hmm. she lost her leg and so she can't, it's, it's hard for her to, to, to do those kinds of things. But then we would go by and get breakfast tacos at old taco cabana mm-hmm. and then drive and then go home and we would sit around and help my mom then make, you know, get everything ready. And then we would watch football and then we would eat turkey dinner and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, like there's these, that, that's what I'm talking about it with a classic. It's like, there's something there that's just like, Oh, it's so awesome. Mm. Um, you know, locally, many people in Austin, Texas consider the cap 10 K both a local and a classic because 
so many people, it's the only race they run, and they've run it every year. There's some people, it's like 45 years old. Like people have run it every year, like every single year. I, I, have a year, I have two shirts, one from 1979 and one from like 1981. Mm-hmm. I wear those cotton, barely cotton. I think they're more like <laughs> nylon T-shirts. <laughs> I wear them all the time with great pride. Like, yeah, I ran that race. Like, yeah, that's really, really cool. Anyway, so I think there's classics there. There's a, is a second designation. I love that. You have so, so underrated sometimes. And we always, if you're anything like me, you kind of downplay the significance of these sometimes. I get caught up in the where are we going category. Like all signs point to the epic. And, and I, and I underestimate what the, these, you know, these foundational local and classic races can do in general every single year to rekindle to keep moving forward it's like humanity it's it it, it's it it's always up and down all the seasons and these races are just the hair they're beautiful yes and they're there for us i agree um and now i have that third category which is which is epic now epic can be one of two things i think there's only a few epics in the u.s Mm -hmm. i think they're boston chicago Maybe some people wouldn't go for Chicago, but I think Chicago is such a great vibe. Start and finish at the same location. The post-race area is really cool. It's so easy. And, and, and you know, Chicago is a classic, just an incredible city. New York City, I mean, anybody that runs New York City, they'll all tell you there's just something about it. And, you know, Boston, obviously, it's an epic. Sure. But I have another categorization of epic. And this is something that is doesn't need to be a, lit- a, a organized event. But it's something that's a big challenge that you can organize for yourself or friends. And now with Strava and with the way of tracking these kinds of things, we can create what trail runners have, which is epics, which is are typically called FKTs, or fastest known time on a particular route. And because they don't have events there, um, that vibe is there so there's one called nolan's 14 where you climb 14 14ers and you have to finish that and it's got no set route like you just have to finish it you have to start at a certain place and finish in a certain place you have to finish it in 60 hours and it's incredible it's over 100 miles it's incredibly hard very few people finish it or complete it maybe two a year three a year very few but it's a cla- it's an epic there's here's another one wonderland trail in around Mount Rainier outside of Seattle. This is a 100-mile race that, not a race, a 100-mile event that's incredibly challenging to complete. I'm arguing maybe we can create epics at all scale levels from a mile to an ultra marathon that resonate with us that are like FKTs. Maybe you would consider these Strava segments probably many of these things are Strava segments. Like we've got a little little stretch of road that I have used as an epic most of my career. I haven't run it in the last five years because it's gotten scra- crazy scary to run on this road. There's a little road called Stratford Road that runs mm-hmm. out the back of Zilker Park. It runs out to um, Redbud Trail. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly hilly. It like all up and down. It's only 3K long. And I would run out it and then I would take a break, a minute break, and turn around and run back. And I would, mm-hmm. every year I would do it, and I would check my times. I would see where I was at. Here's another epic. The Town Lake Loop. It's an the epic. full bird. The full bird. It's an epic. 
and and we should we should have some kind I'm of record. That name that that you should we're do it. Spreading the name, do it. It's, full bird. That's on my uh, my vlog this week. It's awesome. all about the full bird. That's so cool. And <laughs> it, it it and I'm like I'm so in love with that. Not just being our bulk mile, go to you know, what it what it uh. Ben Greenfield always call it the death march. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, that was from a book called um, Beyond Endurance, I think yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the full bird, man. Like, why do we not have... We should we should have them every local this year. Every the group. crown victor of the full bird yeah. is Excellent. this person. And, you know, and now we've got the way, we've got the ability to track that stuff more readily. And even if we didn't track it, people could just do it themselves. Right. So even if it's not looking at it from a perspective of who is the fastest person that's ever done it, male or female or whatever, but more along the lines that each of us check it and we check ourselves against it. We use it as a as a as a way of seeing where we're at and to resonate with our local locations or resonate with other places. Here's another one. There's one that a friend of mine, I started, I coached him. I'm not coaching him now, but he was getting ready for marathons. And then one year he was like he lived in um, outside of Boston and there's a thing called the Pemi Loop which is, uh, it's just a, it's a climb up a series of mountains mm-hmm. in that area. Um, and it's a classic hike. And he's like, I'm going to do it as a run. I'm like, yeah, there's a bunch of other people that have done it as runs too. And it's a really classic. I mean, it's an epic. Like, to, and I think it's 35 miles or 40 miles and the weather's always super challenging. But again, it's like an epic, it's a thing that's not a thing. Like, and that's what makes it cool. The Wonderland Trail, it's a thing that's not a thing. The, the Nolan's 14, it's a thing that's not a thing. But they don't, but we don't have to do it that way. We could do it around shorter events, iconic cl- locations. Like what would it be to run up Mount Pinnell? Who could run the fastest up Mount Pinnell? That could be an That's a great epic, one. Like an epic. That would be great. It doesn't have to just be So let me get like something long. straight here. You've got three categories of racing right now. We've got the local, we've got classics, and we've got epics. What where does the all signs point to Boston runner? Where where does that race fit in? Boston? It's like it's, it's obviously an epic, but it's it, a classic epic. But also for some people, it's a local. <laughs> yeah, those people who grew up that, or like you, you would you describe. So you're in our, saying culturally, there to reframe it in our own context to meet ourselves where we are. That's how we and frame you, our race. And you and you basically you steal the culture back by saying you're not going to tell me what's classic or epic or local i'm going to decide now there are some that have just boston like that whole episode we did one of our very best episodes yeah. on this podcast is that that we did on boston it was really great because we recognize you recognize the localness of it mm-hmm. then you knew the classicness of it but then the way you described your run of it was beyond epic like you took it to the next level it was like the one of the great physical physically one of the great things you've done in your life one of the most meaningful things you've done in your life at least that was the experience i 100 felt from you that's what's interesting about about this is is now we have a framework of how to visualize maybe not a racing schedule this isn't necessarily building our racing calendar for the season this is more about how to understand objectively like what we're how to be getting a part, ourself into how to be a part of the culture that you want to be a part of and then if it's not there make it yourself like create it and this goes back to Paul's topic where he encouraged us exhorted us to be we if you want to have a local culture you need to have events 
that resonate, that your group feels good about, that you will own to make local classic and perhaps even epic. And if you lean into that and you work on that, then you'll all the boats in that ocean will rise because you chose to do that. That's what he's exhorting us to, is to actually recognize this local classic epic and do something with it, like roll with it and, and, and create the culture that we want to see. Um, that's, that's what I heard from Paul. Like he put the imperative on us to, to get after that. We haven't done it yet, but we're thinking, um, it doesn't mean that we're not thinking about it, but I think for our listener, what they can do is just say, Hey, let me think about what my cultural construct wants me to do. Like I've got a lot of folks who are trying to get into Tokyo right now. And I'm like, like, how do you feel about Tokyo? I'm like, it's fantastic for us. And locally, like the race is in February, <laughs> like the weather is going to be perfect and ideal. You do have to I've train tried the lottery the- a few years. Everybody's well, I grew, a lot of my group are trying to get in the lottery so they can try to all go at the same time. I'm like, this is a classic and epic and, and it's just, it's a, it's a great race. It's fantastic. But, um, but it's incredibly hard to get into. It's like mm-hmm. the, I think it's, it's the very hardest marathon to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you you don't you but then you can it, buy one of those passes but right. they're many thousands of yeah. dollars but then it becomes something <laughs> different everybody's always been able to buy passes yeah. i mean people could buy their way into kona i mean if you could buy yeah. your way into yeah. kona it's like 30, you could buy your way into anything <laughs> yeah yeah i think so it no i sorry to interrupt you but yeah that's a, it's a funny one i remember trying i remember the first few years i was like i gotta get into tokyo and it's like so difficult i don't even know but i think that you know what i'm what i'm saying about it is that because my group decide there's these other aspects of that race of tokyo that make it so special yeah but then then there's also the inner group dynamic that decides to target an event together like we are we've got a large group of people going to indianapolis marathon this year as our fall marathon it's a very unconventional not a conventional choice not and and the reason we're going there is because it's flat it's fast and i know there's no drama cim is drama there's drama all around it um chicago is drama there's and i know there's no there's going to be very little drama there we might not get perfect weather conditions but we've got a flat course well supported by its staff the community supports it so you're not going to have problems with your police or other things and i've got a group because i've got a one woman trying to get an Olympic trials qualifier, I've got five or six others who are just going to run with her Mm -hmm. to help her achieve it. So now we're just making that our, we're hanging our hat in the spring and the fall this year on Indianapolis. Now that doesn't make it, doesn't make it local. doesn't make it classic, right? But it makes it epic Mm -hmm. for our group because we're selecting an event that we're doing as a group and we're all going out to it and we're all supporting. I'll be there. It's so cool. I already got my plane ticket. Yeah, but it's like so, it's like a cool thing. I'm going to be in the coach's corner though. Yeah, well, we can roll. We'll (laughs) we'll be hitting multi-spot, many spots there and and things are going well with our preparation for that. So the, the group vibe is as I said, when the water rises, all boats rise, right? So um, I think so too. And I think that it, it paints a clear picture. Sometimes I, I have these insidious thoughts about like, what is what kind of information are we being told about the zeitgeist of running? How do we feel about that? And what's our own assessment? So, so often it's, it's just incredibly easy to get sucked into other people's goals 
and sucked into other people's feelings about how we should feel about the culture. And frankly, I don't think, and you asked me about the running industry right now, the in terms of the commodities, the shoes and everything. And I'm just like, Steve, I do not want to fucking talk about it right now because that is just about as dysfunctional as it's ever been. And it's, we don't even have a guiding light right now into what we're even doing about it. So that, that, that whole side. So I'm like, all right, let's, let's, put that on the shelf for another day i was hoping that could be a topic of conversation for today and you're like no i'm just i'm not i'm not feeling optimistic about about the The way people are framing the most simple things on earth which are running shoes and how we've placed them at the highest trophic level of the it's very very odd to me so it's like i'm having a very I'm having a very difficult time reframing what what the fuck it is that we're doing in there. Do you but, know in like the late '80s <laughs> there was a shoe made a shoe? You might you might this might be. I think John would have known this, but you might not. This might be obscure enough for you. We'll okay, see. there was a shoe company out of Hershey, PA, and they made a shoe oh, called the Hershey. Yeah, got a runner's world editor's choice. There you go. Yeah, so it's you do badass. Know this. Yeah, and right. I, <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly what they are. They look like a 990 or a 990. Uh, and they were they were at the time, I think, $150. Yeah. And this was late 80s. So this was, that was double the cost of any other yeah, shoe. Yeah, sure. And I don't know anything about the shoe. I never, I couldn't have afforded to buy it. Never, but nobody I knew You can probably it. get some today, but there's a waiting list. <laughs> Because it was taken over by another oh, that's apprentice, crazy. I believe. Oh, that's cool. And they're still making the shoes today. That's so cool. See, to me, that part, you know, the, the idea of, you know, I'm, I'm lowbrow, I'm a peasant, so I'm not all for the high-end cost thing. That, that always rubbed me wrong. But I recognized the beauty of a, of a well-crafted. Oh, yeah. Uh, someone who cared. was made by a, by a cobbler, like by yeah. a shoemaker mm-hmm. who made... Each sewed each individual part. Each oh, yeah. part was lovingly held, touched, focused on by a runner himself who wanted the. You know, those things are are what we're resonating with. And you're saying the the the, the local culture doesn't do that. And what I'm saying is, yeah, maybe not local. The the local the, currently the industry is not doing that. But we can do that with our own race selection. That's that's where I was more gravitating towards this conversation. Find the Hershey shoes out there. Exactly. And that can be your race. That can be, it's, you know, and that, that would, that's, that's my positive thought coming off of like a kind of the, what's the want and desire out of this like whole thought process that I, you know, have about, you know, stealing the culture back, so to speak. And I'm thinking the way that we can do it is is to reframe it, and it's got to be through the events. The events are so important; they're so special. And I don't know. I I I don't. I know personally that even I have to. I've always had to do this, though. My personality is. It, I always have to really dig deep to find what is the authentic purpose behind what I'm doing what's actually motivating me what's driving my decisions and I truly have to like press the stop button think about it say you know call myself on my bullshit it's not all <laughs> just about getting the time or going to the race or going to the thing it's it's seldom about that it's always 
there's always so much more work to dig deep and figure out what exactly is my place to contribute to the zeitgeist of what's actually going on. Yeah. So beautiful. So cool. Awesome. Well, I do want to, um, to end this podcast with, um, the ultimate classic epic. Okay. Event that I think exists. The ultimate classic epic event. So let's So there's straight. to some people in the in the San Francisco Bay Area, this is a local. But it's a classic in that it's hard to get into the race. And it has a highly idiosyncratic way of doing it. It's a handicapped race. It's called the Dipsy. Oh, They've got the Dipsy, the Dipsy Double, and the Dipsy Quad, yeah. the Quad Dipsy. Do you have to? Do you still have to send in your application letter by mail? Yes, and they select it that way, and then it's run where they send you out um, in a staggered way based on age and sex. And so, age and sex weighted. So they, so it's a handicapped event, and it's just epic. It's, and then it's a trail run on really narrow, challenging roads. It's the Dipsy Trail that basically runs from um, Stinson Beach mm-hmm. um, in Marin County all the way up and out and over to right or somewhere around. This is around for reference. If you see the beautiful car commercials and shit, uh, where there's always that yes. car going through the mountains on yes. those winding roads and the oceans that's in the background. That that's, that's the road. road. Yeah. And it's where it's where all the marketers live outside. I actually got to visit there. Marin County. And I it's saw a, the entry to the trail and I'm thinking to myself I've that. run that so I've run that trail 15 20 maybe 40 times 40 really? times in my life I love the trail it's epic but I've never gone to the race I've okay. never I've never done the race I've never even tried to get into it but there's another thing that makes it incredibly epic and classic is that there was a movie made with starring Bruce Dern where he was this is from the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and he raced it, but he was an old curmudgeon guy. And it was all about running this race. So there's no also shit. has like this little running. I think it might be the nation's oldest race behind. Well, there's JFK. Boston. Boston. JFK 100, Boston. There's a couple of them that might be, you know, there's a couple that might, might argue for that. Yeah. But Dipsy is, in my and opinion. This is D-I-P-S-E-A. D-I-P-S-E-A. Dip. Sea, and I think it's because the course dips down, yeah. and that's the name of the trail. Because when you're on the trail, you can actually see the sea. You go down oh, into these beautiful. unbelievable redwood forests, sure. and then you pop out onto a thing, and you see the sea, and then you go back down into the redwood forest. Like this is my opinion. If there was one ultimate classic, it's epic, like Jerry Garcia lived, yeah, and you know, Marin it's, County man, y- yeah, it's like it's like awesome. <laughs> it's it's a place. It's a place. It, if you go there, you're gonna want to be like, oh man. So Muir Woods is in that neck of the woods. So there's like where all these redwoods are. It's just unbelievably beautiful. Um, So if I made an argument, if anybody was looking for one of my, you know, that's my epic classic that's outside the the boundaries of most people, what most people know. A lot of people will know that, right? Like you recognized it, but not a whole lot of new runners will I only recognize it because I have some family that recently moved Mm. to that area and they said I should look into it. And it was like, what is this? Like, I've never heard of this. And then some guy who runs in our group in town, uh, he's from that area as well. And he was like, you got to check this thing out. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. It's like the Dipsy is is seven miles down, but then there's a double Dipsy where you go seven miles down and seven miles back. Yeah. And I don't know that that's a timed event. That may be more of a, maybe they time it now. I think they time all four of them, all three of them. 
but not many people do them. And then there's the quad where you go down and back and down and back. So it's got four. I don't think the three is really an option where you, you know, but anyway, um, that'd be fun. We should, epic. uh, we should, we should go out there and try I to kind of think so, man, yeah. that would be, <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, any excuse to get out to, I've got friends out there. I mean, my brothers lived in San Francisco. They lived on Knob Hill and lived in the Tenderloin. And mm-hmm. that city to me is, um, it's. I think it's top three cities in the world. Unbelievable. Just super cool. It, it's different now than it was then, but every place is different. Like, who knows? It we're just, all we're all becoming a little bit more similar to all, all the yes. cities. Or I think I was reading an article the other day in. Maybe Austin's got a little San Francisco in it because I think like 6.9% of, of every 10,000 people are coming from San Francisco yes. right now. Yes. And I actually hear that we're advertising in San Francisco to come to our beautiful city Woe in Austin. Me. And I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, y'all are getting advertised to about Please this? Please move here in June. Please move here in June. And so you'll get you'll a get good a idea. Good idea of what Don't we got. Don't move here right now because you're going to think it's the greatest place in the world. And we just kind of, we, we like, you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. But come yeah. on when it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Oh, I love that, man. Uh, I That one's going to be, I'm going to run that race in the next few years. I just noticed we're not videoing this but you're wearing your run for the water shirt oh yeah (laughs) man i love this shirt yeah it's that's a special one if you want to come run a 10 mile race i think it's the best race in austin personally i think think we would welcome any runner because the cool thing about that race is that you can run that race as a metric for a half marathon time which is interesting because it's got uh elevation and in hills and it kind of all and weather out in the mix and weather and it's the first weekend in november traditionally and we you know some years we'll have 43 degrees and beautiful and some mornings we'll have you know 70 degrees and high humidity yeah it 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 really is not the overall time but your paces it's it's the paces that really can kind of will get impacted by those things. But usually what I tell people is on a good weather day, mm-hmm. whatever you run the 10 miler in, you can run on a flat marathon. You can run. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's, like got, a, it's got a correlation there that way. That's beautiful running lore. Yes, That is. kind of shit. I agree. Makes sense. That's why I think it's a class. That's why I think it's the classic as opposed to the cap 10 K, which has a lot more history, a lot more legacy. And it's also got wonderful little problems. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little problem course, but it doesn't, it just doesn't have, um, I guess the other thing about the run for the water is Gilbert, Gilbert Tuhubonye, yeah. who is, um, a local he's, coach in town. He's even coming into, he, he, the guy's, he's in, he's, he's on fire right now. He's like, he's on he's, fire. He's in his happy place. I can feel his presence yes. a mile away when he's running. I'm yes. like, I was running through Peace Park the other day and he was running through there. I was like, oh my God to see Gilbert yep. off the off the trail. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, there he is. Yep, yep. We'll have to get awesome. him on our, we we'll have to Bring get him on this joy. podcast. We got to get him on here. I, He's committed to getting on. We just haven't, we haven't pulled the trigger on yanking his butt. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, that was a fun one. Yeah. Hope everybody enjoys reframing their races. If you're, if you're a dipshit like myself, you don't think as much as you should about <laughs> these things and you get lost into the hustle because I always grew up a little bit of a follower. And that's <laughs> what, that's the ugly truth. And <laughs> Oh, but, shit. It's confession time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just 
five just messing with your pants. Uh, but not really. Uh, Says it, the it man help- with words tattooed all across <laughs> his body. <laughs> no, it just helps to be reminded that we're in control. Let's take yes. that culture back. Steal the shit back. I agree. 100%. Godspeed, y'all. Thanks for listening.